Welcome to Sunstorm, where we get real about what's happening in the world and what we're doing about it, because we are the light in the storm. Hi, I'm Ai-jen Poo. And I'm Alicia Garza, and we are so happy to have our friend Baratunde Thurston as a guest today. Baratunde is a writer, political commentator, and comedian. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, How to Be Black, the host of the How to Citizen podcast, and the host of the upcoming PBS docuseries, America Outdoors. Every time I see him on TV, he lights up the screen with his clarity and humor. Welcome, Baratunde! You're actually the best. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me to this this powerful space, y'all. Oh, it's so good to have you here, Baratunde. Thank you so much for joining Sunstorm. How you be? I be tired mm-hmm. <laughs> and grateful and a bit excited. Mm-hmm. A bit excited about what you're excited what's possible. About? Tell me a little bit more about that. I want to get excited. Well, what's going on? On a personal front, I'm married. And I'm excited about that. Yes, <laughs> it feels oh, good. Uh, good. We're for growing you. together and learning together, and I'm I'm very excited about that. I'm excited because I got my double vax, so you know, Moderna yes! in the house. I I think the the deep answer to your question is I'm I'm relatively balanced between exhaustion and motivation. Mm. Um, I'm motivated about where the world and particularly where the United States can go. I mm-hmm. see this beautiful potential and mobilization and mm-hmm. policies and people. And then I'm exhausted because uh, we have a whole political party which is not committed to the democratic experiment. Wait, just um, one? Completely, explicitly not committed. Um, I think I think there's a distinction between the two parties in, mm-hmm. in this regard. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, so that's exciting that there's lots of opportunities, yeah. but dive in for me for a little bit. I mean, okay. what is driving your optimism right now? What are some of the things that are fueling that given how tricky the political terrain is right now? Yeah. So to pander with honesty, uh, y'all are, and particularly iGen, you know, we had her on my How to Citizen podcast. And the way Ijin you talked about with several other people in our second season, y'all echoed each other in a powerful way about this opportunity for a new New Deal, for some changes that actually are for all, That's not right. just for the few, which has been such a refrain of our season around economic opportunity. Seeing the president of the United States basically read your words, you know, and say your words about care as infrastructure. And just the boldness of the proposals, it gives me some optimism. I, I listened to President Biden's address at a joint session mm-hmm. while I was uh, in the car on the highway at night. And I kept wanting to pull over. Like, is this really, mm. is this dude really saying these things? This is not, I didn't vote for Joe Biden in the primary. Who of us did? <laughs> I'm like, be honest. And, and <laughs> I feel like it's one of those moments where it's, it's mm. kind of like a, a high school athletic moment. The big game is up. And you got to like rise to the occasion. And I feel like he's trying to rise to the occasion. He's mm-hmm. like, he's trising to the occasion. It's, it really moves me, you know, it really. And I think the specifics are in that speech. 
he was going on about the threats to America. North Korea, Iran, nuclear, terrorism, classic American jingoistic, militaristic talk. Like it's stuff you can just throw easily, copy and paste from any president over the past 50 years. And they say the same things. They interchange the brownish nation they're referring to. Mm. And I was thinking, man, it'd be pretty amazing if he would acknowledge the the threat in our midst, you know, white supremacy. He said it right after I thought it. I'm like, maybe there is a microchip in my vaccine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but more, it's it's uh, it was unexpected. I was grateful for it. So that gives me hope. Like the fact that we have a, a leader, and then you know, at, at, at both levels, that we have folks like y'all who are in it for a very long haul, on the ground, like with the people, and you've got folks at the highest level using the same language. That's uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to ignore you that. Sure I can did. be pretty effectively pessimistic, but I I will accept <laughs> the optimism of that shared language and this in this shared moment and hope for more like that. Mm. What a great reminder of all that we have to be hopeful about. Yeah. We we kind of got this. We do. I think we do. We we did some really hard things. <laughs> yeah. The last 4 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we got this. What I would love to see Biden's team propose, you know, in addition to the Recovery Act and the Family Act and the Jobs Act and all this stuff is just uh like a massage act. You know what I'm <laughs> like like just a full body massage act for everybody who dragged our democracy back from the cliff's edge and continues to do so, who reminded folks what was in these founding documents and tried to make their liberty and justice be for all. You get a massage, you get a week off, you get to go to Hawaii safely. You know? Oh, uh, yes. That'd be real. That'd be real cool. Oh, yes. That would be amazing. Um, one of the things that I love about you and every time you pop up on my CNN or MSNBC feed, it's so exciting because you're just an amazing and unique political commentator. You're humane, but you're also hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and we need a little bit more humor mm. in cable news these days. And um, how did you come to blending humor and politics in the way that you do? How did I come to blend humor and politics? Through anger, actually. (laughs) I was a big news junkie as a child. I was raised in the 1980s, born in 77 in Washington, Mm. D.C., raised by my mother uh, on her own at a time when that city was going through hell. It Mm. was the murder capital. Mm. Uh, People fitting my demographic profile, young black men had a higher chance of ending up in uh, jail or prison, then going to college. And that was like an early tipping point for that statistical trend. Uh, And it was really an odd moment to like read that newspaper headline with my black male friends. Like, oh, are we? So we're not supposed to make it, huh? Like that's just just a a weird mirror to look at in your local paper uh, in the Washington Post back then in the 90s. (gasps) So I just, I watched a ton of news and I got real fed up about it. And uh, the humor came into my life as a way to process the anger. It was an outlet. It was a stress relief. I I wasn't good at it. You know, I just needed it. It was really a dependency and a tool and something to consume and ingest that was felt a little healthier in my body. Uh, I was a strident political voice well before I had any command of comedic voice. I was just a little self-righteous, preachy kid. 
I was a ton of fun, ton of fun. Self-righteous preachy kid who was like <laughs> telling all the other black kids why the way they were showing up wasn't right. One of my early causes was uh, the football team name of the Washington, the NFL team in DC. And I was like, fellow black people, we can't be rocking with this name. Like, this is just, <laughs> this is not it. That is racist. We can't, we would be so, we would burn the city down mm. if they called this the Washington N-words. And oh. you know, hearing excuses from my friends, blah, 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 blah. Um, being mad at them for playing basketball instead of like mm -hmm. being down for the struggle, which is really not like a fun friend to have in uh, 10th grade. So it started there. And then the humor helped loosen me up a little bit. Um, and I started writing a satirical newsletter where I took my self-assigned mission to inform the world, but toned it down a little bit to make it worth tuning into. And I, I found some resonance in this email newsletter that I started in my freshman year in college. And I knew it was working because people I didn't know wanted to be on the list. Like, yo, can you put me on your newsflash list? <laughs> and that was when I started really practicing in a literal sense, humor and weaving it into my political voice. And it's like, oh, it's actually, this pairs nicely, you know, mm. like a like a wine with the right fish kind of pairing. It was, <laughs> it was good, help the whole meal go down. We love that you're always giving credit to your mom, Arnita, for everything that she did to raise you and your sister, and the way that she influences your work to this day. So can you talk to us a little bit about her story? I can. I'm pausing because her story is changing, even though she's no longer alive. As I learn more about her and learn more about myself and make the connections of what she helped plant in me. So my mother was born, Arnita Lorraine Thurston, in 1940 in Washington, D.C. And her mother was born in Washington, D.C. as well. So multi-generational hey. Washingtonian families, statehood, no taxation without representation. There you go. There's my <laughs> D.C. statehood plug. <laughs> Just basic human rights. Here we go again. So my mom was born at this time when uh, Black pride, Black power, explicit statements like Black Lives Matter wasn't just flowing out in mm. the streets. You know, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of colorism and, and shame even in her own household about how dark she was. And she had to help raise herself in certain ways. I don't know how my mother survived in this world meant to destroy her, even in a household meant to destroy her. It wasn't just like America writ large. It's like her own parents were abusive. Uh, sexually abusive in the case of her father, emotionally, physically abusive in the case of her mother. And so she found mm -hmm. community elsewhere. She found gangs as a teenager. She found the Black Power Movement in her 20s and was out in these streets with the Eritreans and the Ethiopians and mm. the Nigerians and the Afro-Caribbeans. Yes, the Eritreans. And, yes, yeah, yes, yes. so she, um, <laughs> you know, she had to teach herself like singularly and collectively to love herself. And I think that's... Mm things that I learned from my mother, it is the power to love yourself. If mm. you can grant that to yourself, that is a key to unlocking your own freedom. And the willingness to, to evolve, to grow, to let go of things, to admit mistakes, and try to look with less shame at your own past decisions. So hard. 
which is real hard to mm-hmm. do. Uh, it's easy mm-hmm. to ask others yes, to is. do, easy to ask a nation to do. It's very yes, hard it to is. actually do it because then you got to face your mm. own demons. So That's my true. mom, you know, became um, a more self-loving, more independent, evolving person, stumbled her way into computer programming as a profession before that was Whoa. a common profession for anybody to have, much less unmarried black women with no college degree in the late 70s and early 80s. And then my mom, she was fun. She defied a lot of the narrative of what, again, this like big fat quotation marks, capital Mm -hmm. single, capital black, capital mother. You know, what does that mean? In the capital H hood. And there's so much pop culture around who that person is and how limited she is and how how she's struggling all the time or how she has all the answers all the time or she's just fixing these grits for these kids all the time. And my mom was like into the computers. We were members of the Sierra Club and went on hikes with them. We went camping and bike riding and she was active in the peace vigils in the neighborhood around all the violence that was going on. She She loved British comedies, you know? So moms was very creative. Mm. And silly, she enjoyed enjoying. She wore a lot of tie dye. <laughs> she wore cowboy boots and tie dye, like bright colors. You know, she was always playing with her totally hair kind of and doing different things and yeah. improvising in the way she cooked. You know, she maybe we're long lost siblings because I'm kind of yeah, like that. <laughs> I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. Um, yeah, and I, I think what she, the pain that she experienced. And some of the pain she inflicted, she tried her best to look at it, wrestle with it and acknowledge it and move through it and transform it. She didn't have a lot of help in that. And there are certain choices she made that I see now. And I'm like, oh, wow. She was carrying a lot. And I'm amazed that she brought my sister Belinda and me into this world and helped usher us relatively healthily into this space. And I've been mostly really, really grateful and humbled by what she was able to do. And I'm also starting to acknowledge and feel, okay, and there's things she wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like, okay. Well, that's the conundrum of, of moms, yeah. right? I mean, they are our foundation. They are the lens through which we learn to see mm-hmm. the world, right? And then as we become our own people um, and we develop our own lens, we realize not only how hard that shit is. Yeah, right? respect. Like, wow, Ma, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but we also realize that, you know, our mothers and the people who raise us are also deeply complicated yeah. and complex. And we give them their propers for doing their best. And we're also like, when I have the shot, <laughs> this is what I'm finna do. <laughs> Gotta mix it up a little bit, move it forward. It's making me think about this uh, new TV show that you've got going on. <laughs> I'm thinking Sierra Club. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a connection here. Yeah. I'm hosting a show with slash for PBS called America Outdoors. Hopefully it'll keep that title. It's possible it won't. It's not going to air until spring of 2022. So there's some time. 
six episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, it is an exploration of people and our connection to the outdoors and our connection to each other through the outdoors. I love this. It is a very uh, beautifully wide net that we're casting about what outdoors is and who we're talking to uh, and about and their connection. So it's it's hiking and marathoning and surfing and urban farming and uh, river cleanups and all kinds of stuff. Um, and we're, we're connecting with indigenous communities, uh, which are often not a part of the narrative, especially of national parks. There's a more complicated history oh, of those uh-huh. that, that we're exploring uh, pretty head on. And especially as someone who grew up in, kind of in national parks as just this unmitigated good thing. It's, oh yeah, there's, there's always another story mm. behind the story. And when the federal government declares this land vacant and available for you know tourism and preservation, there's also a displacement and an erasure and an act of violence against people who don't meet the standard of uh, land occupation and land improvement, uh, as our government has so often done with indigenous nations here. We did one episode so far. We shot in Death Valley, California. I'm enjoying it. And it's nice to be out in the world yes. you know, after a year and a half of being almost just in this room. <laughs> it's like seeing other people That's right. somewhat close, moving my body out in places that I haven't been. It was the farthest I've been from home. Wow. Amazing. It was the farthest I've been from home since since March of uh, 2020. Amazing. So I'm real grateful for that. Yeah, thanks for asking about it. Well, the one of the things um, that I thought of is just the theme of this season, Sunstorm, is mm. really about... I mean, we've just been through an extraordinary time and we're still in an extraordinary time. And we're really trying to meditate on what are the things that we want to take with us that we've learned in this extraordinary time that we want to keep and what do we want to leave behind? I'm wondering, do you have thoughts on what you want to take and what you maybe want to leave behind from this extraordinary time? I mean, I want to leave COVID behind um, and I want to leave Nazis mm, behind. Okay. So those two things. Yeah. We don't don't need more of that. <laughs> I got it. Like, I get it. You know, I was Please like, okay, things. Nazis are real. Right. They're a thing. They wave flags and stuff. Cool. Right. Next. Cool. <laughs> like, we see y'all. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I acknowledge you. Yes. We all just want to be acknowledged. <laughs> I acknowledge you. Okay. Yeah. Let's Correct. move forward now. Correct. I will take with me my ability to grill a whole fish. Ooh. Like, I'm so good at it, y'all. <gasps> I take a branzino, mm. I marinate it, mm. I stuff it with citrus and herbs. Mm. I got the temperature just right. I grease the grill with some good old grapeseed oil, a nice high temperature oil, Ooh. and I get those lines in it. And then when I flip it, it doesn't crumble. No. You know? oh. we, we were hanging with the in-laws very recently for the first time since before COVID. And my wife is like, I'm going to need you to make those fish. You know, we have a little dinner party. I need to show you off a little bit. Because I did not know how to do that before COVID. I've been thinking a lot lately about belonging and Mm. what it means to be recognized as fully human. And here in this country, we use the word citizen 
often, right, to recognize people as fully human. And I've heard you talking a lot about what it means to citizen um, in this country. And I think, well, here in the United States, we citizen very differently, right? So we're having an awakening, maybe even epiphanies around why and what it means to citizen. But I'm curious from your Mm. own perspective, in this particular moment where millions more people were inspired to um, participate in the decisions that shape their lives every day, what does it mean for you right now to citizen? And how is citizening changing, evolving, growing, or even maybe regressing a little bit? You can give us the optimism and the pessimism, if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) It means that I am trying to regularly check in with my neighbor who is ill Mm -hmm. um, and was was physically and socially distancing even before COVID, but even more so during all this. Mm -hmm. And I had noted, you know, from some of the other neighbors, a kind of reluctance to engage with mm. this person, which I was like, then I need to try to engage more. Because mm. I was new to, new to the block mm-hmm. as well. You know, we lived here one year mm-hmm. before COVID hit and I was traveling all the time, so we didn't really right. live here. Right. And then we're like stuck here. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a very harsh transition from kind of living here to only living here. That's right. And uh, in the process of phoning, texting, stopping by, I've learned about this other person you know, things that didn't match the rumors I was hearing about this person. Yep. I have, you know, been able to think a little bit less just about myself. Mm. It's like, oh, just check in. You go to the store, check in with so-and-so, see if they need anything. Mm. And I've I've watched this person open up and share more, just volunteer more. Or this is how I grew up. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Hey, just reaching out cold, could you do this? Could you help me figure this out? Could you Mm. grab my garbage bins and bring them back? Mm -hmm. Which was the case this morning. That's a, it's a very small, specific way of interpreting what it means to citizen. But I was trying consciously, I think, to demonstrate a level of non-exclusive selfishness, Mm -hmm. uh, to demonstrate some curiosity about this other person I sh- kind of share space with. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Another way that like citizening has shown up for me is understanding Los Angeles a bit more. And I remember when defund the police started to emerge from whatever hatchery phrases come from in political movements. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's like, is there a firm that says intersectionality? That's the thing now. Now it's BIPOC. We're shipping BIPOC next week. Yeah, can somebody, <laughs> so, somebody tell us where the hell that thing came from? Yeah, so 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 defund the police got released, you know, into the mm-hmm, wild. Mm-hmm. And I decided to try to understand my own city's budget. Mm. And I was like, what is that? I I think I get it. A lot of the people I associate with are for it. So I'm probably for it too, but it was mm-hmm. very distant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm new here. Being new at a place is a great excuse to just poke around. That's right. You know? That's I right. don't know nothing about it. Let me, say, <laughs> let me go to the website. Let me find this budget. Yep. <laughs> let me start looking. Like, and I was like, oh, wow, 54% of our budget goes to policing. 54%. And then when yeah. you go downtown and you see the camps growing of people who are just mm-hmm. houseless, living on the streets. Yeah. And you say to yourself, 54%. Why is that happening? Yeah. 
So it's, it's, a, it's a gross misallocation of our money. And so I just try to do something about it, sign this thing, show up to this thing, talk about this thing, mm. use what power I have. Um, and that's the last piece is I'm think I've just been much more conscious about what my power is mm -hmm. and how I'm using it. Mm -hmm. And I have preached that simple line for a little while. Like it's not just voting mm -hmm. in a democracy. We got more than our vote. Mm -hmm. Voting super, super important, especially in election years. <laughs> but um, we have money. We have voice. We have attention. Probably the most power we have is what we put our attention on. Mm. Doesn't require any cash. Mm. Like everybody makes that choice. Mm -hmm. And every choice we make is an exercise of our power because mm -hmm. it's a shift of our attention. Mm -hmm. So I'm like feeling into that. Um, and I was like, why? Well, I, I have this voice. I have this radio voice. Yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> I you got do. This. And I've, I've learned some of what that voice, uh, the power that lies within it. And so I've been more conscious of, of late, the past year-ish. What am I saying? Mm. <laughs> Where am I saying it? Mm. And what unique opportunities do I have to try to plant some notions and some seeds? So showing up, you know, using my power in much more conscious ways. And I'm acknowledging there's so much more to, to experiment with and learn and figure out, try to be humble and not trying to do everything. Mm. Ashe. And, and, and powerful. there's something in that story, too, that tells us if it doesn't happen right now, it ain't going to happen. Right? Yeah. We got to do it ourselves. Yeah. And it has to happen mm -hmm. right this second. It's like, well, things are happening. Right? Things are happening. We are planting seeds. Yeah. And some of those seeds are blooming. I mean, seven years ago, we were in a completely different place having completely different conversations and certainly not the right. conversations we're having now, even though they're frustrating, right? Because they're not doing as much as we want them to. They're doing a lot more than they ever were. So that's a good thing. So so I have a question for you. I, I lean toward empowerment and optimism and hope and motivation and yes, we can and all those affirming feelings. And I'm also, as I, I believe I said when we first started talking, I'm tired mm -hmm. and I'm not like the hardest working person <laughs> in this struggle in this journey in this work, mm -hmm. but I'm like tired. And I, I had an experience very recently where I finally watched the United States versus Billie Holiday mm -hmm. and it deeply affected me mm -hmm. in ways that I didn't expect. I know most of the stuff at some level. I, my mama already told me. Mm -hmm. And if she didn't say it explicitly, mm -hmm. I felt it. But I, but I watched that and it was just, it unsettled me physically. Uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. because I think it was a reminder of the longevity of the systems that we're trying to moderate mm -hmm. at a minimum, you know, completely overhaul yep. and redesign yep. at best. Yep. And I just got into this like angry funk mm. where I was just like, fuck it. You know, like, mm -hmm. This whole place, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. there, there's so much foul history here. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, look what they did to this person who represented so many people. Mm -hmm. What do you do with those emotions? I've seen the work that you do. And I've heard you talk, not just now, but more broadly, about where we're going, what we can get to, how we can reimagine, blah, like it's motivational and leans toward optimism and the yes, we can side of the emotional spectrum. I also know you have 
I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's right. So, so what do you do when you are feeling and experiencing those uh, less than positive emotions about our situation? Mm-hmm. While you were talking, I was thinking about uh, the wisdom in pain, the mm. intelligence of hurt, mm. <laughs> and what we can learn. I think Latasha Brown said this once about, you know, when we feel pain in our bodies, it tells us something. It kind of saves us because it it's an indication that we're ill and something needs to be healed. And it can be exhausting for sure. But if we can harness that wisdom, the insight, the intelligence that the pain and the hurt is is transmitting to us, it increases our mm. potential to win, I think, long term. And then I think along the way, we have to figure out whether it's the Branzinos or the outdoors <laughs> yeah. or the time with our friends, mm-hmm. yeah. the, the pieces that give us the energy and the joy and the beauty to mm-hmm. keep on. Thank you. Yeah. I love her. What keeps me going in it is transforming that anger, feeling it, and not trying to be like optimistic all the time. I'm not at all. And I've actually had yeah. to like grow a muscle. And Ijin has really taught me this, right? Like you could do that your whole life. <laughs> and you've also seen what happens to people who sit in that all the time. It it yeah. stymies and it atrophies your ability to dream and to imagine mm-hmm. because when you stay in that place of like everything is fucked up, then you can't actually think about anything not being fucked up. And we are being called to do that in this moment. If we don't, right? If and when we win, <laughs> what are you winning? <laughs> what are you winning? Like. Yeah. billion in care infrastructure doesn't come from lamenting about how we need a stronger and different labor movement in this country. It comes from building it. And like, it -hmm. comes from that commitment to not just reimagine, but like out fucking last your enemy. outlast the people who are trying to take you out like there is a petty in me that's like no 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 like we're gonna be the last one standing and that's that's my word (laughs) you know what i mean and i'm gonna pass that to my kids (laughs) and i hope my kids pass it to their kids it's like no actually there is wisdom and petty too it's like listen no 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 your commitment is not going to outlast my commitment so yeah that's for me it's like I'm avenging my grandmother and my mom and my great grandparents, Cooper and Julia, who were sharecroppers, right? I'm avenging that because I'm like, oh, no, no, but we still here. <laughs> and we're going to be the last <laughs> one standing. So y'all keep creating too, and we'll see who ends up on the other side. And I'm quite positive that it's going to be us. Thank you both. The wisdom that comes from pain, the wisdom that comes from petty. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh, thank you. There you, you go. That's your album. That's, <laughs> that's your book. That's summary. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we want to say thank you, Virgin mm. Day, for being you and 
all of the gifts that you give this world and for spending time with us. Truly, thank you. Sunstorm Queens. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody go follow Baratunde at Baratunde on all the socials. And while you're there, follow Sunstorm Pod too. And go listen to How to Citizen wherever you listen to podcasts. Till next time, love. Ciao. Sunstorm is a project of the National Domestic Workers Alliance in collaboration with Participant. Sunstorm is executive produced by Alicia Garza, Ai-Jen Poo, and Christina Mevs Apgar. Sunstorm is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Producers are Shelby Sandlin, Mary Philip Sandy, and Mia Warren. Original music composed by Jen Kwok and Jody Shelton. I love seeing y'all smiling. It's the sunrise that I can't see because it's overcast in my neighborhood right now. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>